having to sit through those horrible prequels, I figure it's time to reward ourselves, you know? Because after finishing up and throwing away episode three, I was just damn depressed, you know? Because I, I sat there afterwards and I just couldn't help but wonder... What the fuck do I do now? And then, shit, I realized, fuck man, you still got the original trilogy to cover. So, as I said at the end of uh, the last episode, happy days are here again. Finally. So, I give you today. Star Wars A New Hope Through the Eyes of a Fanboy Because before we go back (laughs) By going forward and leaving the prequels Right where they belong eh, Let me get you caught up Because it goes a little something like this Slave Boy meets Girl Slave Boy gets trained as Jedi From a young age on Slave Boy becomes an extremely whiny and annoying-ass teenager. Finally meets back up with Girl. Slave Boy becomes completely infatuated with Girl. In a stalkerish kind of way. They fall in love. Get married. Slave Boy all of a sudden becomes completely paranoid and begins to have visions of his wife, uh, Dying in childbirth. (laughs) And then uh, Slave Boy turns to the dark side. Because apparently he's under the impression that (laughs) that's the only way that anything's going to save her. You know, the power that he'll then have. And in doing all this, (laughs) Slave Boy uh, kills countless children and and women and, and 
Lord knows who else, only to go up against his best friend, who doesn't, that doesn't go too well, because his best friend and mentor, well, he leaves him after having severed both his arms and his legs from his body, right next to a fiery river of lava. Uh, then, the uh, ball bag that had uh, lured the slave boy into the dark side eh, saves him and puts him in, in some sort of artificial chamber uh, kind of suit uh, that will supposedly keep him ticking. And then it's over. His best friend goes into hiding. His wife is dead because... Even though she was the only reason that he turned to the dark side uh, to save her, he kills her, and there we have Darth Vader. The children are split up uh, to try and be hidden from their father, and yeah, all cut up. So, shit, there you have it. So, eh, now that that's over, it's on to a new hope. Because last time, or the last few times, I did what I could to make it enjoyable, you know? To make it fun for you. And for me. And, yeah, on my part, that did include some, some booze. <laughs> but, going forward, I don't even need to try and make it fun. Because it does that on its own. Because... This is one of, if not the, most wonderful trilogy in all of cinematic space and time, okay? I mean, it's, it's certainly one of the most successful ones. And the most influential ones. Because think about it. Had this trilogy not been made, forget the prequels and... <laughs> And definitely forget uh, 7, 8, and 9. But things like, <laughs> well, arguably, <laughs> uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I mean, none of it probably would exist. Because, I mean, no. Was, was that the first trilogy ever? No. But, like I said... It was definitely the most influential. Because after the movies came out, you saw over the next probably 10 years or so, comparatively, a giant spike in the number of, oh well, uh, number three, four, five, you know, no other movie franchise. Well, at least none that I can think of. Maybe except for Jaws. Really had that many movies belonging to it. I mean, like I said, you had Jaws and... Eh, you might be able to come up with one other. Maybe if you're lucky and you do a, just a shit ton of research. Two other examples. But try to find one that has been that successful. 
you know, that has been as successful as the Star Wars franchise. Okay? Try. try. You can't do it, can you? (laughs) No, you just can't. And yeah, if it wasn't for that move, we probably might not have gotten things like (laughs) Class of Nukem High 3 or Terminator Rise of the Machines. We, we might not have gotten those things, but it's, it's a tit-for-tat kind of a thing, I suppose. And these movies, uh, as, I, as I tend to say, they were just tits, you know? But yeah, I'm, I'm sure that some douchey little narcissistic prick could and probably would have come along eventually who was just so damn sure of himself and and his work that in time he'd figure that eh shit his first movie did pretty damn good hell his second movie did pretty damn good why not continue on you know make about a half a dozen more and yeah that that prick might have been Michael Bay but we'll never know and I gotta assume that without such a groundbreaking, backbreaking work like Star Wars, it would have possibly never happened. And if it did happen, it would have taken a good long damn while before someone treated it a movie franchise. <sighs> like that uh, joke you tell all the time that only you think is funny. But the fact that you think it's funny. It is still just enough for you to keep telling it. And really, eh, considering the prequels, uh, that's, that's what this is. But uh, the prequels and Episode 7 were the punchline to the joke. So I guess the originals, uh, you, you'd consider the, the lead-up to the joke. And, and while... When looking at just the prequels, it seems like more of a knock-knock joke. Now, when you look at the originals, shit, that's more like the aristocrats, you know? But either way, the point remains, alright? And just because this was so damn successful, can I tell you a secret? That doesn't mean that every damn franchise needs uh, three, five, or seven, or hell, even nine or more installments. You know, we don't need Transformers 9. We don't need, what is this now, the uh, fourth or fifth Pirates of the Caribbean? No, we don't need that shit. Not every franchise is meant to have an extended universe. Oh, yeah. It, it works for things like uh, the MCU or, 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 hell, even DC. Although, those two examples could be a hell of a lot better, if you ask me. But, yeah, yeah, they still kind of work, at least. I mean, partially, but yeah, they do. But not every franchise is meant to go past that uh, two or three mark. You know, 
Two if they get lucky, and shit, three if they're really damn good. But not everything, not everything in Hollywood is meant to have four, five, six, or seven installments. It's, it's just not meant to be that way. But anyway, as I was saying, that's right, boys and girls, we're finally at Star Wars Episode Four. One or whatever, a new hope through the eyes of a fanboy. Uh, so before I ramble on too much longer, as if that's possible, here we go. Because uh, Star Wars, later retitled Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, in a complete mindgasm that would pretty much change the the whole damn scope of this sucker, is a 1977 epic space opera, an all-around pop culture icon juggernaut. Uh, not to mention, marketing freight train, responsible for its own line of games, toys, and novels, detailing a vast and uh, expanded universe, and hell, uh, I guess you could say the franchise is even completely responsible for shitty things like a Darth Vader toaster oven and a Yoda baking pan. And hell, who didn't have one of those children's books that uh, came with the uh, the record or the cassette tape, you know, right along with it, that narrated the, the whole damn thing? Oh, so, so it was, it was just me then? Well, never mind then. But for the record, if you didn't have one of those, you missed out, damn it. And yeah, shit. Hell, it's even responsible for countless fan films. I mean, go online. Go to YouTube and you can find a, a fan film for, well, shit, definitely Star Wars, but just about anything nowadays. And I can almost guarantee that if it wasn't for Star Wars and the love that the fans had for it, hell, you, you almost certainly wouldn't get fan films nowadays. Certainly not to the extent that you get them. But no, this timeless marketing god was written and directed by George Lucas, the man responsible for bringing us both Han Solo and Howard the Duck. Which, you know, yeah, I know that some might consider that kind of a win-loss thing. But I consider it a a win-win. And it's almost (laughs) enough of a, a win for me to kind of forgive the prequels in even just the slightest way. (laughs) Which, the prequels, while Han and Howard were a win-win, shit, the prequels were a lose-lose-lose situation, okay? But still, this is the man who, in 1973 began writing the movie that would eventually cause James Cameron 
to quit his day job and become the maker of films that include such cheesy shit as multi-purpose magical ponytails. And things like that. <laughs> but, yeah. This is the man that, after having completed only one full-length feature film in 1971, began almost immediately on what would prove to possibly be one of the biggest undertakings that hell anyone's taken in Hollywood. And shortly thereafter, after finally releasing American Graffiti under the banner of the fledgling Lucasfilms Limited logo, <sighs> this is the man that ultimately turned his mind's eye to the one film, and eventually three films, that were almost fully responsible for the return of good old-fashioned movie heroes. And I'm not talking about Luke, but yeah. We finally, after American Graffiti and some other little rinky-dink film that he uh, kind of threw together, he started almost immediately on Star Wars. So... He was definitely ambitious, you know? But, yeah. And while he claims that the movie was inspired by such classic films as Beowulf, uh, and, and also uh, partly inspired by world religions all over, hell, if you ask me, even Helen Keller could spot the crap loads of complete and total rip-offs as they <laughs> dug their heels so far into the sides of movies like Wizard of Oz and, and others in this unfortunately sterile and incredibly subtle script <laughs> laden with substandard dialogue. And it was so obvious that I'm sure they bucked back in pain, <laughs> you know, <laughs> after getting that, that slight sensation that they were about to take the shaft right in the ass. What you talking about? And none, man. I'm just talking about the shaft. But, in fact, Frank Herbert, who almost no one knows as the author of Dune, reported that that movie's director uh, said that he had found several moments where they considered the movies to be almost identical. And, well, although I can kind of see the Wizard of Oz thing, eh, the whole Dune thing, I, as a man who's seen both movies multiple times, I just, I don't see it. You know, not, not so much. Okay? But again... Now and forever, moving on, because it's time for the fourth episode. Uh, the fourth episode? Oh, shit. Yeah, we've already gone through three. But granted, the, the three came well before this one. 
So I don't know how it's the fourth and not the first, but ah, fuck. That hurts my head. I ain't, and I promised myself that I was going to try and get through this sober. So anyway, it's fourth in, in terms of the uh, franchise's internal chronological order. Just whatever. Get over it, will you? Because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Because, I mean, shit. We've got Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. Mark Hamill as uh, Luke Skykiller. I mean, Skywalker. uh, And a reluctant Harrison Ford as Han Solo. All three of whom. Oh. This is before they looked like uh, their faces were melting off. And and all three of whom uh, would be, at this point, well, they would all be catapulted to superstardom the very moment that New Hope was uh, released. And when they were catapulted right into the sky, shit, they wouldn't come down until well after... The uh, Return of the Jedi. But, yeah. And they sat there on screen. uh, Surrounded by veterans of star and screen. Such as the now legendary and uh, even back then very well-known Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi. And that's to say nothing of... James Earl Jones lending his voice as Darth Vader, or, hell, Peter Cushing's General uh, Tarkin. I mean, fuck. But then you had uh, fellow soon-to-be legends, you know, like, like Peter Mayhew, and Anthony Daniels, and Kenny Baker, and, hell, even David Prowse, okay? Uh, maybe not so much David Prowse, but still... Shit, you'd have Chewbacca, 3PO, R2-D2, and even the man inside the Emperor's right-hand mechanical muscle man, you know? And they were all there for your enjoyment, for what's turned into, fucky fuck years, decades to come, you know, and who will all be there, for decades more, as Disney hopefully uh, does what we all kind of suspect and uh, goes ahead and and writes George's wrongs from 1997 and gives us the the originals as they were meant to be, you know, with Han shooting first. So, uh, but with that. Ah, shit, with all those guys involved, you've got yourself a fucking movie, my friends. Because now all that was left was to put the darn blab thing together in one sweet treat. So, let's get to that already, shall we? Because I'm getting impatient. Because when it first came out, no one knew what this intergalactic mythological tale would do. Shit, not not just for those involved, but for everybody. You know, no one would know what its long-lasting mythos would mean to millions of fans. 
for generations to come. Hell, look at any Star Wars related convention. And fuck. You see dozens of thousands of all ages from all over. I mean, all over the world. From 6 to 60. And they're all there because because of their love for the movies. And that all started the very moment that that Fox logo <laughs> that we'll never see again in a Lucasfilm gave way to the ever-present and ever-familiar orchestra music. Followed by that uh, extraordinarily mesmerizing uh, yellow scrolling text, which is just as mesmerizing today as it ever was, regardless of uh, whether you have it, you know, running down some sort of bullshit trade federation, or <laughs> talking about how Luke Skywalker has vanished. No matter what, it's... You might not like the end product of what it has to say, but shit, it's just as mesmerizing. Because that scrolling text and, and the orchestra music, uh, led by John Williams, that shit is to Star Wars what uh, temporal anomalies are to Star Trek Next Generation. And for anyone to say otherwise... Oh, shit. Yeah, they, they just don't know what they're talking about. But as we are hit with that little one-two punch in the groin, <laughs> we were all about to find out what this baby was made of. <laughs> Which, uh, we know today, is a whole lot. <laughs> as our eyes try to keep up with that, uh, Scrolling yellow dribble, basically stolen from Flash Gordon. As we follow it, uh, kind of like Dorothy down the yellow brick road. But as it soon gives way to us being tossed like salad, right into the action. Left only with your imagination to conjure up images of all that we've already missed in this little... Civil War Among the Stars. Uh, in the here and now, the Empire and Darth Vader have obviously begun attacking a, a tiny ship and choking out people in the pretty straightforward uh, attempt to, to take Princess Leia and her sticky buns captive. And as they did so, we instantaneously shit. We didn't know, well, at least originally, we didn't know Darth Vader from shit and Shinola. But we instantaneously, somehow, <laughs> knew that this would be special. And while I'm at it, even though I wish I could say in all honesty that the whole Sticky Buns thing was, was just a dirty joke, kind of like I was making, fuck, all over the last two prequel reviews. Uh, well, I can't, because uh, I'm sure that you know this, but in all honesty, 
just take take it in, folks. Uh, I mean, what what the fuck is up with that hair? You know, I mean, hell, just saying. But before Vader can even find her on that little space pontoon, we find her recording some sort of message and and hiding it on a a little droid or uh, trash can on wheels or something as she sends him and his little buddy off to safety when our antagonistic bosom buddy droids C-3PO and R2-D2 board a pod that later crash lands on the sands of a nearby planet which doesn't look like the Tunisian desert at all. Or, I mean, that's my story, I'm sticking to it. But as all this is going down, fuck, I still can't help but think that it almost looks like someone just took two cinnamon rolls and superglued them to the side of Carrie Fisher's head after having wrapped them in in weave. But I digress. I I just can't help myself. I just keep coming back to that shit. And that's just one of the many general grievances grievances, uh, that I have in this fucker. As great as it is, and as much as I love it, and fuck, we'll always love it. Fuck it. You know, it's still just one of the problems that annoys me about her and, and this whole damned thing. You know, all the originals. But I'm going to try and, eh, you know, I, I've already had some practice with being able to, to stay as positive as possible when looking at those last three. So... I'm going to continue to just try my best and stay positive. Because let's not let me get started on the fact that she's somehow princess. When her mommy was queen that took a demotion to become a senator, and uh, her adoptive daddy was little more than a chancellor, and who the fuck knows what her adoptive mommy is uh, or ever was. And even her birth mommy, the queen, shit, she doesn't even know existed, really, so, uh, whatever. It's, it's all nonsense. But I guess Princess Leia was more marketable than just plain old Leia. Or, uh, well, you know, whatever. But... It all has its purpose, after all, I guess. You know? Or at least that's what George would have you to believe, anyway. Because, let's face it, uh, just like uh, the MCU, eh, George, well, hell, if the MCU is the king of continuity, as I call them, uh, George... I guess you could say he was the the court jester, if you will. Uh, But but anyway, fuck it, because 
this movie is about to really bullshit. I can't even say pick up. Because if you start with a shootout <laughs> and the, the entrance of Darth Vader like that, uh, you've already hit the ground running. But we're about to really kind of get a sense that this movie, well, all three movies are, in a way, kind of told, mm, but uh, kind of told uh, by by the view of of the walking tin cans that are are now down on a planet that we'll come to know as Tatooine. Because as soon as we're back with them, as they get picked up by a, a group of Jawas, <laughs> which we don't know what those are when we first see them, but uh, if you don't know what Jawas are, eh, think of, eh, eh, I guess you could say they're a, a collective race of eh, cloaked midget uh, second-hand store operators. And after having gotten uh, picked up, well, let's face it, captured by the Jawa traders, uh, well, uh, our droid duo subsequently gets sold to uh, borderline nomadic moisture farmers, Owen and Baru Lars, and their isolated numpty farm boy, of a good-for-nothing little fuck of a nephew, Luke, who, as I said, is played by the, the human comic book encyclopedia as he walks, talks, and acts like a whiny, annoying, naive 12-year-old girl through much of this first adventure. Eh, and in the next one, yeah, yeah, I mean, he starts to slowly mature, but... Well, let's face it, by the end of the third, he's still just a whiny, annoying, naive, bratty pain of a 17-year-old. Okay? But, shit. Even by then, he's, as I said, he's still just as whiny and annoying as the first moment we laid eyes on him, right then and there. And, uh, sure, I'll, gi I'll give him credit. Eh, by then, he's slightly less annoying. But not by much. Because don't get me wrong, okay? Hamill is stellar in the original. From start to finish. And he may even be one of the greatest voice actors of my time, if not all time. But you can't tell me that in this first outing, he doesn't look and sound and even act just a little girly, alright? And can I just say that while I may only be one of the three or four on this or shit, any other planet, that are even sort of against him or uh, any of the original cast, having come back for the new movies, uh, it's, you know... It's merely just because I have my moments where I'm just sure that it's going to be all shot to shit. But to his credit, as, as much as I, it pains me to admit it, 
Harrison as Han. Uh, it did give me a little bit of my hope back. <laughs> Not nearly enough of it, but he did. I mean, sure. Maybe if they just <laughs> happened to eh, have Hamill playing more of an, an Obi-Wan type, you know, an aging Jedi. Uh, may maybe if they just have him... Uh, old and hobbling around when the time comes. Because uh, the time didn't come in Episode 7. You only got about uh, 35 seconds of him then. But if they, if they just have him uh, portrayed in a an Obi-Wan uh, slash Yoda kind of way. I, I almost don't want to, but I'll, I'll go as far as to say maybe... Even even then, it's it's still just a maybe, but because even then, you'd probably have to let him go the way of of Darth Maul and and even Han now and slice and dice right through his torso early on in the eh, in the second one, which now after Han had that fate seems a little redundant, but yeah, I mean, and I know that. Some of you might be saying, Kill Luke! How dare you say such a thing? But it's true. Because without that, I just, I think, the point is I think they did it bass backwards. Because they should have just paid Harrison enough to stay around, and they should have killed Luke. And they should have done it in this next one. And, and even though we haven't quite met his aging character just yet, uh, speaking of Guinness and getting back on track, <laughs> I, I don't know if everybody knows this, I know most do, but he came to hate his association with these movies in the years to come after they uh, originally filmed the fuckers. And he admittedly even had to continuously fight the urge to tell fans to just fuck off and, and get a life after they would just tell him how many times they saw the films. So, I'm glad he didn't live long enough for me to tell him just how many times I've seen them. Because, uh, well, I'm not exactly one to shy away from telling people to fuck off, so if he would have told me to fuck off, he would have gotten that shit right back. But yeah, he, he came to hate those movies. So... I find it actually eh, sort of insulting that they would even think, <laughs> let alone go through with the stunt that they pulled in episode 7, you know, with having him even utter a syllable. But whatever. Because as all this goes down, you know, the, the Jawas capturing the droids and then the droids getting sold to uh, Luke and his family, and throughout the trilogy, for that matter. Even in this futuristic setting, to its credit, it did something that I don't think any movie in its genre had ever done before. You know? Because even with great direction, like... Uh, faster. Uh, more intense. It still feels as if this whole world is natural, you know, modern, 
in in its own time, you know, back in the 70s, and even today, it feels modern and contemporary. All at the same fucking time. And these characters, uh, we've only known them for minutes, and yet, hell, they all seem completely familiar, you know? Because whereas we would probably need a backstory on any of these fuckers for the most part today back then it seemed unneeded you know and and it was able to do so without feeling confusing or overcomplicated you know it could be said that in a way uh, even then we all sort of felt like we were supposed to be here already like we knew everybody and like we knew everything that was going on. And not many movies, before or after, as we jump from planet to planet throughout uh, these three movies, and what would turn out to be six, no other movies, no other franchise has ever pulled it off as perfectly as George did back then. Because, unlike the uh, prequels, at that time, nothing about these movies looked pristine or untouched. It all looks used and dirty and sort of grimy in a way, which are all words that I use to describe the prequels. Yet, somehow... As dirty and used up as it looks, as as if it had been there for years, it's all still sort of lush and detailed in its own way. As if to say that all that we lay our eyes upon has existed for uh, centuries gone by. It looked just as used and washed up and just natural as anything you might see if if you got your lazy ass up and went outside once in a while. Because back then, none of it had these uh, flashy effects that we have today. And maybe, just maybe, that was a damned good thing. Because what we were given back in A New Hope, it still changed everything as we knew it up until that point when talking about just exactly what was doable in a movie like this, or, hell, what was doable in, in any movie, really. Especially its soon-to-be-born siblings. But it was all revolutionary. So, I can't help but wonder what was going through George's mind when, when he decided to revisit it all in 1997, you know? Because fuck, if you ask me, that's the only reason the special editions got shoveled out uh, in the first place. Is because Lucas became so damned overzealous <laughs> that it was only a matter of time that uh, the good doctor would just have to build <laughs> a bigger and better and badder Frankenstein's monster. And so we got the re-releases. But eventually, that'll all be water under the bridge. But not right now. <laughs> Fucking Lucas. 
you know, now that I think about it, it's not all that surprising that the same mind, you know, the so-called genius that gave us the Death Star would eventually give us Pixar. Because we should have seen that coming, but eh, he, he gave us Pixar before he gave us the re-releases. But yeah, chew on that for a bit. See if you like the taste while you're at it. I'll even choke on it a little. But I guess I could stop whining about the prequels and the re-releases, uh, and the fact that Disney holds our future in their hands. Yeah, I, I could stop worrying about it all. But where's the fun in that? <sighs> Whatever. Before it all went haywire, <laughs> looking up at the dual sunset, going down right now on uh, the desert sands of Tatooine, yeah, it, it all looked natural. Right up until the moment that it all became a bungled mess. But for a good, hell, decade and a half, it, it all looked perfectly natural. Like it was meant to be there. Right up until the man looked at his own cinematic child and uh, looked him square in the eye and said, Son, you're just not good enough anymore. But hell, who hasn't been there before? But, uh, yeah. When I watch these movies, I do all that I can to watch the original theatrical releases. Because... Anything else is just <laughs> painful as fuck. I mean, and, and maybe it's just me, because I was brought up on the originals. Oh, but, yeah, that's just the way I see it. But, to his credit, eh, the things that he messed with in this one, eh, as stupid as some of the choices were, uh, at least he didn't mess with a handful of very iconic imagery. Because that whole Tucson Horizon thing. Oh, shit. That's just as beautiful as it ever was. But don't worry, because before we can really get too deep into that whole uh, oh, poor me thing that Luke's got going on, obviously. Well, it's time for Luke to clean his new BFFs. As he goes and whacks off, I mean, waxes uh, R2-D2 and accidentally triggers part of Leia's message from the start of it all, in which she requests uh, help from uh, an Obi-Wan Kenobi, who uh, Luke's never heard of, uh, even though he knows exactly who Ben Kenobi is and can't exactly seem to put two and two together. But yeah, the only Kenobi he knows of is an old pedo-like hermit named Ben, who lives uh, in the nearby hills, just beyond the Dune Sea. And the next morning, before he can so much as get up and scratch his ass, <laughs> before getting a chance to take the droids to the old man, well, Luke finds out that R2-D2 has pretty much just saved him the trouble and fled the night before in order to seek out this Obi-Wan. So, of course, being a glutton for punishment, Luke goes out and tries to find him. 
which going out on your own in the middle of the the Tatooine desert? Eh, shit, that didn't work out too well for his grandma. But yeah, Luke goes and searches for the mobile garbage can. And eventually they all reunite, just in time to meet up with a small handful of Tusken Raiders. And then finally get saved by good old Ben. So, go figure. But it's then that he actually reveals himself to be Obi-Wan. Surprise, surprise. Because, shit. I mean, who doesn't know that by now? But then again, who doesn't know any of this by now? Why am I doing this? Oh, yeah, that's right. I had to sit through the prequels. And let's face it. If I sat through the prequels without getting to this, <laughs> that shit would have just been frivolous and unneeded. <laughs> Much like the prequels. Anyway, ah, sorry, sorry, I'm back, I'm back. But anyway, we quickly learned that not only is his name not Ben, but we also find that he's a damned Jedi Master, who we will later come to realize has somehow aged 30 years in a span of about oh, 18 or 19 years. However old uh, Luke is. But, yeah. Apparently, being a Jedi Master and, and a Hermit is just stressful as all hell. Probably from the lack of space pussy. But, anyhow... Obi-Wan takes the unsuspecting Luke back home to his hut, probably in hopes of getting lucky, as he regales young Skywalker with tales of his days as a Jedi Knight, a faction of former galactic peacekeepers who were wiped out one by one by the Empire, or at least all but wiped out, considering the fact that yeah, we at least know that Ben's still alive. And if you haven't seen the prequels, uh, at least that's something. But if you have, you then also know that Yoda's still around. So, yeah, okay, whatever. And, and actually, uh, Luke also finds out that contrary to his uncle's statements, eh, his father Anakin fought alongside Obi-Wan as a Jedi Knight, before he was betrayed and killed by Vader. Which, huh, go figure, okay. Anyway, but yeah, they were all wiped out uh, alongside his father by Obi-Wan's former pupil, who turned to the dark side. A man known as Darth Vader. And while Luke digests all that, and we begin to wonder what Ben has been smoking all this time. Ben, <laughs> well, the old man then gives the kid his slain father's lightsaber. Which, at this point, I gotta say, the lightsabers and every other little bright and shiny aspect of this movie, for that matter, it had to be a complete and total pain in the poop shoot. To create practically uh, from scratch for anyone involved in the uh, special effects department. But then again, really, the, 
the special effects department, <laughs> at that point, pretty much just consisted of Georgie Porgy and a few, a handful of others. So, no wonder that pudgy bastard hardly ever smiles anymore. Uh, unless it seems like he's kind of fucking with somebody in jest, but I guess it uh, couldn't have been that bad, I suppose. <laughs> and, uh, actually, I guess that it couldn't have really been that bad for uh, Ben, because he seems to have found a way around the boredom, uh, which may or may not be related to the fact that <laughs> these lightsabers always have kind of looked like brightly colored schlongs. But anyway, Ben gives Luke the lightsaber, <laughs> which uh, this was a, a deadly weapon, and <laughs> you... You gave it to a miner without explaining anything about it. You know, how to turn it on, how it works, what it is. Shit. But, yeah. Anyway, like I said, Obi-Wan does this and then goes on to view Leia's message, in which she begs him to take the plans to some sort of heavily armed and armored space station capable of annihilating an entire planet, and, and plans that she and the Rebel Alliance have stolen and hidden in the memory of this uh, droid that now plays the message. Well, she wants him to take those to her home planet of Alderaan for her father, Jimmy Smits, I mean Bail Organa, to retrieve and analyze. And even now, <laughs> as he sits and watches this message, he still doesn't cop to ever having seen these two fucking droids. Or knowing that <laughs> Leia is actually Luke's sister. And why doesn't he admit to any of this? I mean, is he, is he hiding something? <laughs> Does he have a bit of... Uh, Maybe early onset Alzheimer's or something? I mean, we don't know. But originally, eh, we don't care either. Then again, we we didn't know uh, that any of the prequels were even going to happen. So, hell, for, for all we knew in the moment, the, this was all just eh, small potatoes. But... <laughs> That's just one of many other ways that George went and eh, just trample over his own hard work. As we're all introduced to eh, people like Watto and Jar Jar, and, and we all come to realize that George is just full of midichlorians. But for now, as he asks for young Luke's assistance, in accompanying him to Alderaan, and asking him to learn the ways of the Force. It's just whatever. It is what it is at this point. So, Luke initially refuses and returns home after realizing that these are indeed the droids that the Empire is looking for, and that they have probably tracked them, eh, possibly all the way to his aunt and uncle's farm. However, he quickly changes his mind about uh, Ben's offer to 
tag along with him after having arrived home to discover that his home eh, wasn't there. I mean, shit, the whole damn thing was destroyed. And his aunt and uncle were eh, turned into beef jerky as the Empire's destructive search for eh, C-3PO and R2-D2 continues to places we know not where. And now, suddenly, as if a, a starting gun had just been heard, the pod races on as Obi-Wan and Luke realize that with a vicious pursuit now being conducted all around them in search for both them and their neurotic little friends, well, they gotta get out from around here, you know? So, where to go, where to go? but a cantina in the mud sill of Moss Eisley's spaceport. You know, which, I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? What with all the scum and villainy meandering about uh, around there. So, shit. They'll uh, apparently somehow fit right in for whatever reason. But, yeah, apparently to them somehow an old man and a miner... <laughs> Yeah, walking into a bar with droids that the bar doesn't serve. Somehow it was an obvious move <laughs> to be surrounded by the, the most upstanding assholes in all of the planet as they're in search of a friend. And why not? Because, hell, it's here that they actually find uh, not one but two friendly faces anyway as they hire an untrustworthy pair of malt worms uh, in the gruff and sarcastic and, and yet charming space pirate uh, smuggler Han Solo, and his towering uh, Wookiee friend and first mate, Chewbacca, who was just a, a costumed alien character based on uh, the director's own Alaskan Malamute. But, okay, so friendly faces is a bit uh, of a far-fetch, you know? I mean, what they run into in these two is more like a half-assed smirk and whatever the fuck Chewie's got going on under all that damned hair. But they hire the seedy-looking pair to transport them on their ship, the Millennium Falcon, which is far from garbage, okay? But this is an idea that uh, the dynamic and somewhat scruffy-looking duo agree to, out of what I can only assume and imagine is, is pure boredom. But they'll all soon be on their way. Right after Han shoots an alien bounty hunter named Greedo, with absolutely no hesitation, no remorse, <laughs> And no problem, no matter what the damned uh, alterations say. And after doing that, uh, yeah, he, he then meets up with uh, an overweight slug-like uh, Jabba the Hutt to do nothing more than rehash a conversation that we just had with Greedo for those who went to drop the kids off at the porcelain pool and just came back. But then, 
after he uh, shoots Greedo and uh, chin wags a little bit with uh, Jabba. Then, and only then, <laughs> after all that shit, do we finally get into the Millennium Falcon and make our escape <laughs> from a small cluster of stormtroopers. Doing so with some pretty tricky maneuvers, such as the classic <laughs> gliding ever so slightly to the left. Which, come on, with a ship that size, <laughs> that shit's almost impossible to pull off. Right? I mean, if it, if it was that damned easy, the, the Titanic would still be afloat. Whatever. And off we go into the wild dark blue yonder, folks. Or at least, uh, shit, to uh, L Street Studios near London, which, of course, became the home to the rest of the film after we left uh, the two new, uh, in uh, Tatooine. But, and upon the uh, Falcon's arrival to Alderaan, well, it ain't good, I assure you, because, in fact, it's insanely ungood. Not good? Ungood? I'm gonna go with ungood. Because they find that the planet has been destroyed in a fancy little explosion uh, in order to, to sway that gutter slag Leia into revealing the location of a hidden base of the Rebellion. And uh, also in order to demonstrate the ship's power. Not just to her, <laughs> but to us, of course. And it's power that eh, they're about to experience firsthand as the Falcon, which they originally mistake for a planet, is soon captured by the uh, nearby space station's tractor beam, as the whole damned gang is then brought into one of the ship's hangar bays. And while I'd love to make a good hangar bay joke, like I did in the Attack of the Clones review, uh, there's just not enough time. Because after getting drawn in, uh, well, the ship is immediately searched. And while everyone in the Empire seems to have cutting-edge tech available at the snap of a damned finger, tech that is still decades away from any of the shit that we've got laying around here, those damned stormtroopers that uh, board the Falcon apparently have nothing that could ever detect a group of heroes. Uh, uh, well, two heroes, uh, an old man and a Wookiee, all hiding under the makeshift removable floorboards of the ship that's famous for smuggling shit throughout the galaxy. However... After finally being left alone for a moment, the group plans and begins their departure into the much larger vessel. And, uh, of course, this takes some, some doing, because they've got to first uh, remove a couple of stormtroopers from the rest of the pack uh, in order to uh, ambush them and put on their armor, which apparently seems... Just the perfect fit. But once the coast is clear, they split up with Kenobi and, you know, the old man goes off to disable the tractor beam as Luke discovers that 
Leia's being imprisoned on board, and in a moment that a deaf, dumb, and blind kid could have seen coming. With the help of Han and Chewbacca, yeah, of course they rescue her. And they do that mighty quickly, too. So, I guess that it's a good thing that of all the hangar bays to get sucked into on this massive planet-sized battle star. Wouldn't you know it, happenstance has it that they end up getting sucked into the one that's, eh, eh what a dink, eh, in the closest proximity to all the stuff that they need to do, you know? Because if these guys had come in at any other angle, <laughs> oh shit, I gotta think that they'd all just have been ass out for about a week or two having to roam around that fucker while trying not to get caught. And, you know, that might have been uh, mildly inconvenient to say the least. But what the fuck ever. Because, eh, after an at times less than harrowing escape that even involves a darkly hilarious scenario in a trash compact, as we see our heroes fight off a futuristic one-eyed poop monster, <laughs> or some such bullshit. They quickly make their way back to the Falcon, but in a move that, while eye-blinkingly quick, <laughs> would propel the story for years to come, while R2 puts his rod in one of the ship's many holes <laughs> without the ship's permission, you know, Obi-Wan <laughs> whips out his neon flesh rod and engages in a lightsaber duel with the ultimate Balrog, Vader, at the cost of his own life. Moments before the Falcon was to escape, with the Empire tracking them to the Rebels' hidden base. But once there, the Rebels, well knowing that their time had to have been numbered. Uh, they analyzed the holographic plans stored uh, previously in the R2 unit and discover a vulnerable exhaust port leading to the station's main reactor. Uh, wouldn't you know it? Because, eh, why wouldn't you go and put a self-destruct on-off switch in, right in the middle of the fucking thing? I mean, that's... That's an obvious move. Shit, why not? What the fuck? Anyway, they decide that there's little time to waste. And if they're to have any sort of success, they must strike hard and fast. So, of course, not to be one to just sit on the sidelines after having done so most of his life. Luke... <laughs> joins the assault team right alongside the uh, likes of Jack Tono Porkins, who, let's be real, eh, couldn't pass the physical exam for a dog catcher, which, is that even a thing anymore? Hell, was that even a thing back then in, in a galaxy far, far away? I mean, oh, fuck. Wookie catcher? I, I don't know. Screw it. Point is... If even he's good enough to wedge his fat ass into a TIE fighter and die for the cause, 
you would have probably had to assume that, you know, if that's, if that's what he's got going for him, why aren't there more of those fighters, you know? Don't they have some sort of training program or something? I mean, why aren't there more in the resistance? Unlike uh, Luke, who is just ready and raring to go, Han, on the other hand, uh, he's ready and raring to go, but not in the battle, because he's out of here before this shit gets too dang real for eh, anyone around him, <laughs> as he collects his reward and leaves despite Luke's begging him to stay, <laughs> like the little bitch that he is. But, eh, you know, he. luckily we don't have to sit through that for very long, because the rebels, shit, they don't care, and they could care less what the fuck Han does, as they take to the skies, ASAP. And as they do, it's no wonder that they seem to be okay with taking anyone and everyone, because... They quickly get their asses handed to them and suffer what seems to be pretty heavy losses after several failed attack runs. So, this of course leaves Luke as one of the few surviving pilots up against Vader and a group of TIE fighters. And just about the time that Luke's ship is about to go down in flames quicker than his aunt and uncle did back home, on to the rescue, because Solo returns just in the nick of time and destroys most of the remaining TIE Fighters in a blast that sends Vader spiraling out of control before he can destroy his offspring, uh, Luke, who, with everyone out of the way and with a little spiritual guidance uh, from that wise old sage, Obi-Wan, well, Luke finds it fairly easy to destroy the Death Star seconds before it can fire on the Rebel base in a gloriously huge explosion. Which, I gotta say, for a place that smoke, fire, and sound really shouldn't exist, there are a good amount of loud, sizable explosions. <laughs> in this little opus of Georgie's, you know, all three original films. But yada yada yada, a little filler, and we finally see Luke and Han awarded medals by Leia for their heroism, as uh, the slightly oafish Chewie just stands there, unnoticed, on the sidelines to close out the film. And while I could eh, call them out for a little Wookiee racism, eh, it's been done before, so I'm done. Roll credits, why don't you? At least until I come back with Empire Strikes Back. And I know that this was pretty fucking quick. And, you know, I hope you'll forgive me. And even if you don't, I, I hope you'll come back. Because until then... Live long and prosper, or whatever the fuck. And if you like these and all my other uh, reviews and segments and just any of the episodes, please go to Patreon and 
type in uh, in search fickle fanboy rpm and you know give whatever you can because if you do so not only will i take your ideas for future episodes but uh, for as long as you become patrons and as long as you support the show it's it's not just my show i mean this this whole thing was meant to be our show and if you go and and help by supporting the show at all well uh, not only will i be forever grateful but i will forever for at least as long as you support the show i will gladly give you producer credit to all the episodes from there on out so i mean help help me help me to help you cuz if you support the show that allows me to to build the show into what i know it can be and what i know it can be is much more than a show i want i want to be able to build this into oh shit merchandise and everything you know i want to turn these star wars prequels hell into my own little spaceballs store you know merchandising 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 you know cups and shirts and well maybe not flamethrowers but yeah all sorts of stuff but i can only do so and i can only build the quantity and quality and uh, everything related to these uh, uh episodes with your help so yeah you may look at it as my show but i've always seen it as ours so help me build our show but for now and until the empire strikes back well i'll be seeing you